there's so much art out there and there's so many possibilities. Even, even if you were just focusing on our local artists, I don't know how you could ever run out of ideas. And welcome to Arts In, also known as AI, the podcast sponsored by Creative Pinellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and I am with Amanda Cooper, who is the curator of exhibitions for the Morian Arts Center in St. Petersburg, Florida. Hi, Barbara. Hello. Thank you for coming and Thanks. welcome. Thanks for having me. So the Morian Arts Center is a century-old community art center, and we offer classes for adults and kids, and we have rotating exhibitions of contemporary artwork, mainly by local artists. And we have four components. We have the Morian Art Center, mind of the mothership. We have the Chihuly Collection. We have the Hot Shop, where there are live glassblowing demonstrations. And we have the Morian Center for Clay. You're 100 years old in 2017. Mm -hmm. Around 1917, I mean, this was a sleepy town, to say the least. You had a lot of people who are coming here from up north to vacation. There was a man named J. Liberty Tad, who was an art teacher and an artist who lived in Philly and would come here to vacation and decided to start what was called the Florida Winter Art School in 1916. That started. And he had some kind of different notions about teaching art. That was his thing, teaching art to children. And he did things like teaching people how to draw with both hands. He and his wife and daughter moved here and started the Winter Art School. And then he died about a year later. But his wife and his daughter carried on the torch without him and it became the Art Club of St. Petersburg. So how did it become the Morian? How did it go from the Arts Club to the Morian Arts Center? Well, there's a step in between. The art club was very traditional, as was St. Pete at the time. And then around the 1960s, a man named John Stanley came along, and he was a teacher and an artist and an art lover. And he and a group of students were interested in seeing an art center that was more for contemporary art. So he basically set up the art center. The art club was going along for some years beside it, but eventually the art club and the art center merged into one because mm -hmm. they realized they were duplicating some things. The art club was struggling and it seemed like the art center was where it's at. Then about 2010, we renamed the organization the Morian Art Center after who I call our patron saint, Beth Morian, who's done amazing things. So to me, the Morian is sort of a hybrid and, and it's doing really interesting things because it's an, it's an art school. It has programs for children and adults. Mm -hmm. It is an art gallery. And that's really what your focus is mm -hmm. there. And then also it is yeah, an organization that runs the Chihuly Glass Museum and, as you mentioned, the Hot Shop. And that's a lot of different hats for an organization to wear. And certainly is. there is a thread that ties them together, but they do seem like very different kinds of activities. So. How do you make it work? <laughs> well, we're still working on that. The Art Center, the Morian Art Center, grew very quickly over a short period of time. And we're still kind of working out the kinks of how you take these four sort of separate entities and make them seem like they're one working whole, especially for many years when the Chihuly was located on Beach Drive. You could go see the Chihuly collection on Beach Drive, but then we had the Hot Shop where you could see live glass blowing demonstrations on Central Avenue. And people would come to the Art Center thinking it was the Chihuly collection. And then when you add the, the train station, the Morian Center for Clay, which is another mile away, you know, it can get kind of confusing. So, but at the, the heart of it all, it's arts education. I mean, that's really the basis for everything we do. We have classes for kids and adults at the Morian Art Center. And I would argue, you know, the exhibitions that the curatorial staff put together are educational. 
our hot shop. We're teaching people how glass art is made. So you can go to the Chihuly collection and see his amazing pieces. Then you go to the hot shop and you see, see the process. Same with the train station, the Center for Clay. Anytime you go there, you'll see a clay exhibition, but you'll also see people. It's a working studio, so you'll see people working on the wheel. You'll see people hand-building. You might be able to go out to the kiln pad, where we have all these amazing rare kilns, and you'll see them being fired. And then the Chihuly collection, you get to go and learn about an amazing artist. And some would say that the Chihuly collection is kind of the odd man out because it's this glitzy thing, whereas the rest of them are more, you know, kind of grassroots nonprofit, but one of the main purposes of the Chihuly collection is to fund the work that the other parts do. You know, for my department and exhibitions, I don't make money for the art center. I mean, we sell our work, but not enough to turn the lights on, buy paint for the gallery. But that's one of the beauties of the Chihuly collection is that because that is a ticketed venue, that funds what we do that's more mission driven. You put on really interesting and amazing shows. Now, some of them are like a member show, mm -hmm. and I believe that's juried and, you know, very well thought out, but some of them are, are shows about specific work or specific ideas about work. First of all, I have the best job at the Art Center. There are many jobs, but I have the best and the most fun one. I've been doing it for 19 years. And why is it the best and most fun? Because I get to work with the artists. And one day I might be dealing with the show that's up now. We're planning a program. You know, we're doing studio visits for the artist in the next show. And I'm writing copy for the show after that. You know, so it's always something different. But the best thing is I get to work with the artists. And that's just such a privilege to be able to do that. The beauty of the Art Center is that, well, we're an art center. We're a community art center. And we are so lucky to live in an area that has so many amazing artists. But at the same time, you don't want to get too insular where you're just showing people who live in this area. So I like to try to balance it out with the member shows, yes, mm -hmm. and solo and small group shows with local artists. Mm -hmm. But I also, my favorite kind of shows are exhibitions that sort of tie it all together, that show what local artists are doing in the scope of maybe something that's happening nationally. Like, sure. for instance, we might come up with a theme and we'll say, okay, these are the local artists that are working in that theme, but here are some nationally known artists or maybe not nationally known, but there's an artist working in California that maybe might be an emerging artist too, but this is how they're both working on this theme. So I think it's kind of good for our community to see this. these are our, our artists in context with mm -hmm. what else is happening in the world. Tell me about your favorite show that you've done. Two of them that stand out to me, they're older shows. One was in 2007, and my director at the time, Evelyn Craft, she came to me and said that there was members of the board and other members of the community wanting us to do some kind of Western art show. And I thought, mm, okay. <laughs> I'm thinking Remington sculptures. I didn't associate it with something contemporary, which is what we do. So I thought, okay, how can how can we do this? And I was interested in doing it because we'd never done anything like that before. But how can we take this genre of art and make it contemporary? I decided to focus on the image of the cowboy, just the cowboy, and it was called The Wild Bunch. We just selected work based on what contemporary artists were doing with the image of the cowboy. The local artist we had in there was James Michaels, who's a beloved local artist who's no longer painting, unfortunately, but he did some Western paintings that Tom James owns. So wow. they were gracious enough to loan those paintings to us. So it ended up being a really cool contemporary show. We had video, we had sculpture, we had installation. So a theme that I wasn't necessarily really excited about doing ended up being a very 
Very fun show. Another show we did right after that was a show called Skin City, and it was a show about tattoo art, which now probably wouldn't be that big of a deal, but this was about 10 years ago, and we had a lot of interesting artwork. We had an artist who did a sculpture that was made out of tattoo needles. Oh, wow. Um, Another artist in that show was Steed Taylor. He would do public arts that were paint on roads that were that looked like tattoos, you know, just the black tattoos all over the road. We had the photographs of those, and that was a really, really fun show. Well, it's interesting as, I, as we're talking, I, I keep thinking, oh, and so you had to really learn about tattoo art, and mm-hmm. oh, you had to really learn about Western art, and it sounds like in the kind of shows that you put together, you don't have a specific expertise that you're limited to right. as a curator. You can, as long as it's contemporary, you can kind of expand 360 degrees in terms of how you're thinking about it. Yeah. Another show that we did, it was a show I co-curated with a man named Dominic Lombardi, and he's an independent curator that lives in New York City, and he's also an artist. This was his idea. It was called Exquisite Porch, and it was kind of a play on the exquisite corpse idea, except instead of doing random bodies, they were supposed to do something that was related to the creepy crawly things in Florida. So instead of being an exquisite corpse thing, which you think of as being a vertical This was hung horizontally in the gallery to be sort of a meandering snake-like thing. We figured out there was going to be around 70 pieces in the show. He chose half of them from the New York City area, and I chose half of them from this area, and then we combined them. They all knew where they had to stop and start. It was a complicated process, but it really turned out very cool. So here we are, you're at the Morian in St. Petersburg, Florida, which of course more and more is becoming known as an arts community. But it's not New York, it's not LA. When you're reaching out to national artists, do they know who you are when you first reach out to them? Or have they heard of the Morian? Or how does that work? Sometimes. I think now probably more than when I first started, because when I first started at the Art Center, you know, St. Pete, well, I mean, it was 1999. It was still a great town. I was born here, so I, I love this place. But at first, not so much. But usually there was some kind of a connection. Like my director at the time, Evelyn Craft, she had traveled somewhere and met someone. So she would never say, we're doing a show of this artist's work, but she would, you know, give me their card and say, I met this artist while I was in New York or out in California. You know, I think, you know, maybe you might see what can happen with them. But now, now some of them, some of them do, or they're at least aware of St. Pete, if not the Morian Art Center. They're like, oh, yeah, okay, we've, we've heard great things about St. Pete. And of course, if you have your exhibitions during a certain time of year, it's not hard to get people to want to, to travel here, especially if they live up north, so. You must love it to be doing it since 1999. I do. In fact, I had a family member recently. She's interested in what I do. And when she comes into town, I talk to her about my job. And she says, I don't know how you keep coming up with ideas. I, don't, I would just I would just run out at some point. And I, and I think, not that I'm a genius that you know has all these great ideas, but there's so much art out there. And there's so many possibilities. There's so many, even, even if you were just focusing on our local artists, I mean, there's just... I don't know how you could ever run out of ideas. Like we have our Fresh Squeezed exhibition. Oh, tell me about that. Coming up. That is one of the things I'm most excited about. And it dovetails perfectly with our mission to connect people with art. And my passion is the artists because we wouldn't have an organization without our artists. And the Morian for the last 100 years has always supported emerging artists. 
it's just something that we do kind of organically. A few years ago, I thought, you know, maybe we should do an exhibition that focuses specifically on emerging artists in an intentional way. So we came up with the idea of Fresh Squeezed, where every year we do a call and it's open to any Florida artist. It doesn't matter how old they are, because you can be 90 and be an emerging artist. Sure. There was There's a lot of organizations that do emerging artists shows. And before we put out the call, I was kind of looking at how they defined an emerging artist. And there's all different definitions. But the, the one I really liked was uh, an artist who has never had a solo show in the state. And we don't count BFA or MFA shows because then that would rule out every single person with an art degree and you don't want to do that. So that could include artists who used to live on the other coast, but they've moved to Florida. So maybe they were an established artist there, but they're trying to get their name recognized in this state. It could be someone who's never had a show before. So that was basically the only criteria. And we got the first year we got about 80 entries. We chose six out of that. And this year we got almost 100 entries. And we chose another six out of that. And the last couple of months, we've been busy visiting their studios and sort of encouraging them where we can. Beth Reynolds went with us to the studio visits and she's taking headshots of them so they can have professional headshots. But I'm excited about it because it's something that we're really focusing on these artists and their careers. I don't know how many years we'll do this, but... Eventually, I would like to be able to look back maybe 10 years from now and say, where are they now? The first crop of fresh squeezed artists. How do you determine who's going to be in the show? If you had 80 or 100 and only six, and six is a good size show, so Mm -hmm. then opportunities for six artists, that's, that's very meaningful. But still, how do you know that those are the right six? What are you looking for? And how, how does that process happen? It's not easy. And another person might have a different philosophy, but I'm really looking for a cohesive body of work. I think they had to submit 10 images of their work. And a lot of them might send in three images of ceramics, three images of paintings, three images of, you know, it's not, as a curator, you're always looking at what what will this look like in a gallery and you want it to be a cohesive mm-hmm. body. So sometimes it's just, you can tell they haven't really narrowed down what they're good at or what they want to do. But you're really looking for, or I'm always looking for a kind of a unique vision. The other thing that we're looking for is something, not for the entire show, but at least a few of the artists, something that is different. Like I call it sort of the dark horse. We had Brian Feldman, who was an Orlando performance artist. He spent every weekend of the show here in the galleries giving glasses of fresh squeezed orange juice to our visitors. If you drew him a picture of either an orange, a cup of orange juice, or him squeezing the orange juice. (laughs) And that, when he proposed that to us, I thought, this is nuts. I can't imagine how this is going to work. In fact, before I sent him the acceptance letter, I called him up and just said, are you for real? Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Because it just sounded so crazy. And then we just kind of took a chance and said, you know, let's try this. And it turned out to be one of the best parts of the exhibition. The shows that have been most well-received or popular with our visitors have been installations where the person comes in and feels like they're immersed in the artwork or there's something, a hands-on element to it, which we don't nor- we do not do often. But you want people to linger in the galleries. You can have a show of paintings, which is fine and good, but, you know, they might come in, look at the paintings and just leave. We thought with this, that would make people actually come in. We did. We had families come in, sit down, and stay in there for a long time. And drink a lot of orange juice. And drink a lot of orange juice. How did 
do you keep yourself fresh and connected to what is interesting and important in the arts world? It's not easy. That is one part of the job that can be exhausting because there's so much going on. And I have four kids. And, you know, I look at some of my colleagues that are out at every art event and, you know, I think good for them, but I can't, I can't do that. So thank God for the internet. You know, I try to travel when I can. Um, That has been limited. But yeah, I keep up with artists on the internet. I read magazines. I tell people, my colleagues, when they visit somewhere to bring me back things. Mm. So... When I was in high school, I went to the Museum of Fine Arts and saw the Monet painting they have of the Parliament buildings, and I just thought that was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And then it started getting the wheels turning. Who was this artist, and why was he painting that? And when I went to college, I started out going to St. Pete College, and I started out as an art major. And as an art major, you have to take an art history class. And I had a really great teacher for that class, and I just fell in love with art history. And when I transferred to UF, I decided to focus on art history. had no idea what I was going to do with it. Every day, I literally, I'm pinching myself that here I'm doing what I went to school for. And I, and when I went to school, I wasn't doing museum studies or anything like that. You're just sitting in a room looking at slides back mm-hmm. then of art. And when I started working at the art center, I had, I had no experience, museum or gallery experience. So I learned everything on the job. That's so still cool. learning. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you're, you know, you're the poster child. I, I'm listening to you. So I had never been to a museum. I went to a museum in high school. I saw a painting and my life changed. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. How did the Chihuly Museum and the Morian Arts Center get connected? It happened over a long period of time. First of all, I think 2004, when the Museum of Fine Arts here in St. Pete had an exhibition of Chihuly's work that was a joint exhibition between their museum and the Orlando Museum of Art. And it was a huge blockbuster. And the Morian, which was the art center at the time, we had the educational component of that. We had an artist, her name was Jody Bove, and she was an artist from New York. And she had a traveling hot glass studio that was made out of a horse trailer. And so we hired her to come to the art center for a couple of months and do live glass blowing demonstrations. So that was our first foray into glass. It was very, very popular. There was a man named Jimmy Averham who was on our board at the time, a real estate developer who was friends with Dale Chihuly and had a lot of his work. And he talked to Evelyn, our director, about possibly bringing a collection of his work to St. Pete. Mm -hmm. And originally, it was part of a bigger project that was going to move the Morian from its current location one block west to the Union Trust Bank building. And the Chihuly collection was going to merge with the Art Center, be in the same building, and it was going to be the base of a condo tower called the Arts. Ah, I vaguely remember all of that. Yeah, so this was uh, several years ago, and that did not happen. The condo part didn't happen, but thanks in part to Beth Morian, who has come to our rescue many times, having the collection here was still on the table. And Dale Chihuly was very interested in the Morian, having his work here in particular, because at the time there was no permanent collection of his work anywhere. You know, you might he had work at different museums, but it wasn't one collection dedicated just to Dale's work. But he particularly was interested in St. Pete and partnering with the Morian because of our education focus. So we had the glass, we just had to figure out where the building was going to be. So we tore down a storefront adjacent to us. 
And that was going to be the Chihuly. Well, that fell through because then the recession hit. So that part of our block is now a parking lot, which we desperately needed. Then Katie Tully was our director at the time, and she and the board wrangled it to where we had the Chihuly collection open on Beach Drive. That space came along. It wasn't ideal because the Chihuly was always meant to be attached to the art center. You know, mm-hmm. people will say now, oh, isn't it great to have the Chihuly right across the street from you? And I always say it was supposed to be always that way. It just so happened that the beach drive space opened up at a time that wasn't great in our economy. And that was that was the best we could do. And it was terrific. I mean, then the renaissance of beach drive was happening too. So it was actually a great thing. The good thing about the space at beach drive, it was designed by Albert Alfonso and it was a little jewel box and every room was specifically designed just for, you know, there's a bunch of little details there that worked so beautifully with Dale's work. This new building doesn't have that to that degree of detail, but it's a bigger space. There's more room for more people to go through it and you can see the works from different angles that the smaller space didn't allow. So let's talk a little bit about what the hot shop is. And you also have some classes there in um, We do. Making, right? I think we do five demos a day, every day of the week, except for the two days we're closed, which is Thanksgiving and Christmas. So yeah, people have the opportunity to see one of our local artists do a demo. And I've seen them myself, I don't know, countless times. And every time I go, I'm just, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. It's just, it never gets old. And it's fun to bring people who are visiting there. So when we have tours, it's very popular with school children. Yeah, it's a really, a really great experience. Well, glass also in St. Pete and in Pinellas County is, is really blossoming here. We just had another muse- a glass museum open up, which I is know. quite different. I know. It's really amazing. And I sort of posited the question of why, how did that happen in a show that we did a few years ago called Keep It Glassy St. Pete? Because in not a long period of time, you go from hardly any glass being in St. Pete to now you have this. So you've always had Sigma Glass, run by Chuck Books, has been around for a long time. And Duncan McClellan, of course, moved here. He was originally in Tampa and had his amazing studio in Tampa and then moved here. Yeah, it just sort of blossomed. And I did, we did little mini interviews with each of the artists. They talked about the public art opportunities here in St. Pete. They talked about what what they saw as uh, the city officials were more open to the arts here, more places to exhibit here. Didn't really get a satisfactory answer in my, you know, in what I was trying to discover through the show. But it, it, it was a good show and that, you know, it showed what talent we have. And right the amazing facilities for making glass here. And I don't want to leave out clay. The clay part of our program is really amazing. It's the largest working pottery in the Southeast. And we have really top-notch ceramicists that come here to teach workshops and to exhibit there. And it's it's still sort of a best-kept secret. But yeah, they do rotating exhibitions, workshop instructors and demonstrators from all over the country. And we have kilns that are out there in the yard that you can see when you drive past. And there's an Onagama kiln, there's a train kiln, but there's kilns that there's not many around, so people come from all over to fire and oh, use the facilities. Plus, there's a lot of resident artists there and artists that have studios there. So it's a really, really great space. 
the organization is, is really an important educational institution in this area. Yeah, and that is really the core of what we do for all ages. And that's what I love about the Art Center is that it really demonstrates that you can have a lifelong love of the arts. Uh, we have a summer camp program that's been going on for decades and decades that's very strong. We have kids' classes throughout the year, too. Then for adults and, and teenagers, we have everything. I mean, you want to learn welding, we have a welding class. Any kind of sculpture you can think of, glass blowing, painting and drawing, and digital and photography, and printmaking is making a comeback. What, why is arts education so important? What is the work that arts education is doing? It helps kids see things differently, and it helps them problem solve. I know we've all heard about the testing ad nauseum that all the kids are getting and kind of the robotic things that kids have to go through in order to be taught to take a test now. But they can't wait for their art class and their music class because it's something they get to use another part of their brain. But yet it's still problem solving. Like, for instance, we have a program at the Art Center that's one of my favorite things. It's called Word and Image. And this is our 20th year of doing this program. It's a partnership we have with the Pinellas County Schools. We have four shows a year, two elementary shows, a middle school show, and a high school show. And they get a theme every year, and they have to problem solve. They have to come up with a piece of art and a written piece combined that speaks to that theme. And then the show is juried, and we hang the work framed in the gallery so mm. kids can come and see their work professionally hung in the gallery. But it's a really great project. The teachers, we've been doing it so long that the teachers have incorporated it into their curriculum. Oh, wow. We have 75 students in each show, and then many more than that apply for it. And all these kids come. We, might, we probably have 300 people come to the reception. It's the most packed our gallery ever gets. Mm -hmm. And it's a really great experience for these kids because some of them have never been to an art gallery, much less have seen their work hanging in a professional gallery. Right. And now they have the confidence knowing, hey, my work hung in a gallery. I'm a real artist, right. you know, so that it connects learning to a another kind of experience, a really emotionally powerful yeah. community experience. Exactly. Seeing your work shared by other people. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You are quite welcome. We've been talking with Amanda Cooper, Curator of Exhibitions at the Morian Arts Center, now celebrating 101 years of arts and community in the St. Petersburg area. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks, Barbara. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley, and if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.